Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, in episode 12, we'll be talking about building a trusted world for crypto payments. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have exploded in value, making them even more attractive for scammers and hackers. In this episode, we'll be exploring the current cryptocurrency landscape and how we can make a trusted world for crypto payments. Today, it is my privilege to welcome two fantastic guests, Krishna Shirabdi, VP Product Marketing from Thales, and Nitin Gaur, Director at IBM Financial Sciences and Digital Assets. So first of all, I will ask you, Krishna, to introduce yourself briefly. Welcome. Hi, um, I'm Krishna. Uh, as you mentioned, I run product marketing for the data protection business within a Thales entity called Cloud and Licensing Protection. Uh, I'm responsible for all data protection products, uh, starting with our hardware products like the high-speed uh, encryptors, the hardware security modules, as well as uh, uh, platforms that uh, enable uh, cryptographic uh, encryption as well as discovery of data. Uh, so I am responsible for promoting these products and explaining what they do, uh, as well as work at, work on interesting use cases, such as the one we are going to be discussing today. Fabulous. Thank you, Krishna. And now, Nitin, you have a very impressive job title. Can you introduce yourself briefly, please? Yes. Thank you, Nara. Uh, my name is Nitin, and I serve as Director of Financial Sciences and Digital Assets. I also founded Blockchain Labs and subsequently Digital Asset Labs, uh, bringing the notion of digital asset to financial services and non-banking financial institutions. I have spent a significant amount of my time building systems and infrastructures to deal with uh, digital assets that are emerging, but at the same time figuring out as to what it takes to digitize and tokenize an existing infrastructure that we rely upon. Glad to be here, guys. Thank you both. Now. Let's start with the questions. So first of all, to you, Nitin, what is the current state of the cryptocurrency landscape and why should we be concerned about its security? Well, that's a great question, Nara. And uh, in, it, to, to sum it up, it's, it's messy, it's chaotic, but it's progressive uh, in short. Uh, in fact, cryptocurrency in general, and I've been in this space since 2012, 2013, it has evolved quite a bit. And that is sense of maturity, both in terms of the market cap it represents, which I think the last count was $2.3 plus trillion. And what started out as an experiment, which we still think Bitcoin is still a long-running experiment, sort of evolved into, uh, with Ethereum, emergence of smart contracts and some level of intelligence and business process management. And now we begin to see this NFT craze, which is begin to fuel uh, the notion of convergence of society and art and technology together, where we begin to focus now on digital collectibles and looking into digital rights management. So the, the space is evolving very rapidly. As a technologist, my focus has been in a few areas where we look into what are the technical primitives 
that we need to enable for the industry to flourish. Uh, and second thing is, what do we need to do from a regulated enterprise perspective and also the large financial institution, non-financial institutions, to understand and absorb the momentum so they, they can not only take advantage but be a part of the growth that the system represents. So I'll pause at that to get your thoughts. Thank you. So do you have uh, any take on this, Krishna? Yeah, you know, it's um, uh, to add to what Nitin was saying, it's a really, really exciting space. You know, it started off it's kind of hobbyist, but now it's become serious. It's just today morning I was reading like Visa made a significant $150,000 purchase of a, uh, a digital asset, an NFT asset from uh, uh, CryptoPunks. Who would, have, who would have thought you'd read a headline like that a few years ago? So it's a very exciting space, uh, which has really evolved rapidly. Uh, and while there is, you know, these little asset transactions, but there are also very serious foundational initiatives that are going like the ones that uh, Nitin has initiated and is part of using uh, using this underlying blockchain cryptocurrency technology to build some very serious use cases and uh, uh, serious exchanges. So it is exciting and, you know, it's it's and security is very, very important. This was there are so many different fantastic use cases when it comes to computers and how they transform our life. But uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain is, you know, it, from the get-go, it, it implies uh, to have a very serious security posture. And so it's very exciting, but it's also very important that we get it right because if we are trying to transform, uh, we've got to do the right thing. Absolutely, and it, it, it has uh, uh, some uh, amazing uh, use cases and uh, use cases, and definitely it's become much more serious than just uh, the neon cat of uh, of old. So, uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency, who can you trust and why, Krishna? Well, I mean, um, you know, uh, fundamentally these things are built so that you know you you can have you know all kinds of people participating, and that's really the sort of very unique appeal about it. You know, this sort of decentralized uh, kind of infrastructure that they enable and for anybody really um, uh, to participate in it. Uh, but uh, when you are building a system that you want. Uh, to be taken uh, seriously in terms of, you know, having um, uh, it audited, sometimes having some governance in it and having, you know, legitimate business transactions. You need to work with people who have the right building blocks and who actually look at these building blocks uh, you know, very critically, have it certified, you know. Uh, and so you have to work with entities, uh, I like to say selfishly like Thales, but also, you know, obviously, uh, giants like IBM who have been in this space and are innovating. You know, Thales defined, has defined its purpose as building a future we can all trust. So it's just absolutely perfect. You know, this is the kind of thing that we'd like to do and have the world take seriously because we, we put some thought into it. And Nitin? Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because the notion of who do you trust? Um, if you look at the evolution of blockchain protocols, we use the term trust systems and securing the network quite a bit. And so in many cases, if you look at the way some of these protocols are designed, the intent is for us to trust the system itself, trust the system which which transactions are processed, trust the system at which we commit a transaction that's processed to a database and blockchain and that's that's immutable and that's that lives forever. And that provides, that lends itself to the trust system that, that we described. So the question then becomes, who, who are, who, you know, who are building these systems? And as Krishna mentioned, 
you have established entities who have had lineage and history of dedicating its acumen and its resources towards building these secure systems? Do we continue with those uh, players? And do we also begin to understand what is the last mile problem here? The sense that most of the vulnerabilities that you've heard of, even in crypto space, boils down to uh, the last mile issue, which is the humans and the individuals who are dealing with the system. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is, not only we are de- we, you know, we're relying upon protocol level security, but what are we doing to protect in end-to-end and what are enterprises and financial institutions who may be using services of IBM and Thales doing uh, to be able to protect the end user as they embark on this new journey, which relies upon a fairly active uh, wallet and, and client management from a perspective of dealing with the system, per se. So we should discuss more on that as well, I think. Excellent point. So, so on that, uh, what do you think is the desired state for the cryptocurrency landscape applications such as the wallets, the exchanges, liquidity, recovery, all of the things that we use to on the normal payment rails? So it's interesting, right? Because when we got on this journey, we always equated what internet has done for information, which is make it ubiquitous, easily accessible around the world. We expect blockchain to do the same thing for things of value, which is things that we buy and sell and money movement and payments and so on and so forth. And for us to truly get to the level of ubiquity, which is allowing for people to be able to easily interact with exactly how people now open a browser, type in a URL and begin to access information, we would, we are aspiring for that system that allows for individuals all around the world to be able to have and participate in the economic activities all around the world as well, which means that a farmer in Uganda should be able to invest in fractionalized asset, let's say of real estate in New York. And for something like that to happen, there are a few imperatives. We need to build a truly highly available, resilient global infrastructure, which is what we have seen with many blockchain networks that includes what Bitcoin and Ethereum and Cardano and Solana are aspiring to build is truly global networks accessible from anywhere. What we do have to solve, which is still an open state for us to get to the desired level of ubiquity is dealing with some of the, you know, not just UI, UX issues, but systemic issues of how we onboard individuals in a manner in which they're able to either use their some set of inherent identity to be able to access the system to prevent uh, fraud and theft, but also to enable non-repudiation and bring in the trusts at the edges, as we say, is individuals to be able to identify, recognize, and be able to perform transactions without the fear of vulnerabilities and theft in the system, which will institute confidence. And so I think uh, both from a perspective of crypto wallets, digital wallets, or even mere identity manifestation on the network, allowing us to be able to interact is the holy grail of the desired state. And I think we are getting there. It's still a little bit of clunky from an end user perspective, but we still have a lot lot of work to do uh, collectively. And Krishna, do you have a perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I think Ethan covered it really well. I mean, I think we've gone uh, we've gone past just you know uh, treating these as uh, as as currencies and started started building some serious applications around it. You know, uh, smart smart contracts are one such thing. But I think uh, some of the issues that we need to deal with, um, in addition to what Nitin mentioned, are also interoperability to be able to have some of these networks be able to talk to each other and have some mechanisms for governance. Uh, which 
for it to really get accepted uh, are, are going to be very important. Thank you. So uh, both IBM and Thales are active supporters of Hyperledger. Can you share with us why this is important, Nitin? Yeah, absolutely. And I think besides Hyperledger is one example of a truly global open source, open community-driven software development, where to me, it's a perspective and purview of how the standards are evolving. So just like what we have seen back in the day with Linux and Java, the aspiration of when we kicked off Hyperledger Fabric and now about 15 different projects that are under the Hyperledger umbrella are aspiring to build the standards, which allows for that ubiquity that we talked about earlier, right? If you have the same standards with the same browsers, same technology, anywhere in the world, allowing you to adhere to those protocols and those standards to be able to access these systems. But I believe that besides Hyperledger, there are other emerging standards that are uh, that are emerging and that are taking center stage. Uh, Ethereum, Solana, Cardano happen to be some of those. But important thing to remember, which is where companies like IBM and Thales can play a dominant role in this space, is they rely upon similar crypto principles and crypto primitives, which sort of become the foundation of that infrastructure that will support uh, that massive economic system that we aspire to build and that we aspire the global population to take part in. And that scale will need a, I would say, not just in terms of performance, in terms of scalability of these systems, but also sort of a global presence for us to be able to roll this out. And that's why I think we can play an important role from that perspective. So I'll take a pause and love to get Krishna's perspective on this. No, agree, agree. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Hyperledger for us was sort of a very foundational piece because that was showing that, you know, what was kind of community driven can be also uh, equally community driven, you know, open source as uh, open source project built on the basic principles, but then having, you know, the key blocks of security and stuff taken care of. And uh, as Nitin just said, you know, it's sort of the umbrella under which a lot of other projects are going on. So it's like the sort of the, the first piece and now where it's being taken to and like some of the projects and I'm sure Nitin is going to talk about them, you know, uh, taking it beyond just uh, the basic exchange, but sort of building the digital equivalents of some of these analog uh, concepts such as, you know, treasuries and, uh, you know, checked exchanges and things like that are going to be the next thing. So it was a great first step and first building block. And, and, and we were really glad to be a part of it and work with IBM on it. And then now it is to see what, what we're going to build next on it. So with this overall ambition to promote financial inclusion and global participation, what do you think is missing in the overall design that limits or restricts the usage of cryptocurrencies in a global market, Nitin? So first thing is, it's still clunky, right? You're expecting the common user to begin to understand elements of key management, safeguarding private keys and the fact that if you're keeping something in your wallet, it's your claim to the asset. The asset resides in blockchain systems. And so for anything to be ubiquitous, it has to be super simple, super easy, and well-understood concepts. And we are still relying upon uh, every network, every wallet, every time you go and, you know, I think the example that you gave, uh, Krishna, in terms of NFT movement, every time you go to any of these marketplaces, you have to have a wallet. Next thing you know, like I have close to 160 wallets. 
uh, as a part of experimentation, as a part of technical leader who's looking into understanding the space up close and personal, I think it's impossible for any individual to manage 160 you know, 60 wallets. So the way I envision this space sort of to build up should mimic the analog version of our wallets. Our wallets are personal uh, sort of constructs that we keep in our pockets. We do keep regulated instruments, your credit cards, your debit cards, and your identities. These are all regulated instruments. But we also keep uh, things that are personal to us. It could be a note. It could be a family's picture and photograph, uh, which akin to NFTs. So I think we have to sort of focus on those from a perspective of its global adoption. And some of these are still very clunky, in my opinion. It's it's very, very diverse. And so I think perhaps working on a global standard that defines the whole element that the world can come agree upon and still sort of op- keep it open for, for innovation and diversity of the various asset classes that we may choose to keep in future, I think is something that, you know, again, people like us uh, who are in the industry and partnering with someone like you is a continual process that we need to continue, I think. Krishna? Yeah, we, we definitely need to get beyond, you know, talking about uh, uh, you know, serious, important constructs. But I mean, it's got to go beyond. And I think Nitin writes about this quite a bit. We got to go beyond key management and encryption. We got to figure out how these, this is just a basic building block that is just taken as, you know, it's, it's a very important, it's table stakes for going forward. But yes, uh, you know, today, it's definitely much better than a few a few years ago, you know, taking part in this sort of crypto ecosystem. But there's, uh, I mean, when Nitin mentioned 160 wallets, I was just thinking about username and password. And, you know, some of these things, it's like, you know, it's, it's a gating requirement for a service, but it has to be uh, really simple and seamless to be able to and interoperate, right? And um, so there are some challenges here uh, that will get us there. But it's this is how innovation always is right it's a bit messy and lots of stuff happens but then hopefully like you know like was mentioned there will be some sort of standards and some consistent approach to dealing with these things thank you for that so for for our audience you know why can't we just take the same principles of encryption and key management and root of trust and apply this to cryptocurrency markets so we are right I mean, if you look at the fund foundation, so, so cryptocurrencies relies on blockchain. Blockchain has a combination of multiple technologies, things like your distributed ledger, which is distributed database. You have cryptography, which is basically a bunch of key management, whether you look at the traditional way of key management or more for the symmetric, asymmetric, triple DES. Um, and then we look into smart contracts, which is nothing but a business language. Uh, so none of this technology is new. Right. And so if you look at any of the system that we have designed, including the open systems, you have foundationally used cryptography in three different senses. One is the basic encryption decryption, which is either for privacy preservation or protecting the transactional element and, and there's a family of products from zero knowledge families to knowledge proofs, uh, which have embarked upon some of these elements and, and fully homomorphic encryption, which again, at the very basic level, relies upon how do we manage these crypto primitives. Second thing is transport level security. We do want to make sure that uh, the eavesdropping and then some of the premises of early days of providing SSL and TLS, those standards still applicable. And one thing that differs in this case is, again, application of this, uh, you know, the public-private key model structure where the 
the public key becomes your wallet and it's globally identifiable and private key becomes a claim um, of, the, or, you know, of this wallet, the use is the same. And what we have done historically is we've either increased uh, sort of the size of these keys, increased uh, the algorithms that go into com you know, computational of these keys, uh, which only to be able to thwart uh, the computational power used to break the system you know, per se. But I think as, as uh, you know, Krishna mentioned earlier, we've got to think beyond key management here. And I'm happy to sort of expand a bit more on that, but I think we're using it. And the question then becomes is, is how do we expand the existing key structures to adhere to elements like omnibus accounts and segregated wallets? But if I'm keeping a wallet uh, in a single wallet, can I now have a mechanism of having different swim lanes to store payment instruments, to store NFTs, to store uh, other values that I need to have? And I think industry has said, you know, let me create a super wallet that you need a password for that wallet. The next thing you know, you're having a key is you keep in a wallet, you lock the wallet, you have a super key, but the risk model keeps going up. And we've seen many cases when people lost the keys and suddenly the wallet is interoperable or inoperable rather. Uh, we had to solve that problem of, of the user interface and making the user on whether it's going after biometrics and expanding that to multi-factor authentication of, of how we interact with the system per se. Uh, so I've said a lot that's to unpack. I'll pause and love to get Krishna's opinion on this. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yes to all of that. And uh, absolutely right. Yeah, we, we are using, I mean, these these sort of fundamental uh, you know, concepts are going to remain. Uh, I think the point of saying we have to get beyond it is that we have to start to build on top of it as opposed to just sort of geek out on, you know, the, the encryption as well as the ma managing of these keys. So it's, I think, that's what uh, I think Nitin also alludes to when he says oh, we, we got to get beyond just protecting it. But you know, we, we the the other thing uh, that we, for example, when we talk about some of this encryption stuff, that's important is uh, crypto agility, right? So we, uh, it, it's yes, uh, we have to use the right crypto algorithms, but we've got to also be ready uh, in case uh, something happens to be able to take care of uh, the, the upgrades that need to be made so that the system still can continue to function, right? So, uh, yeah, to answer, the, the, the basic concepts remain, but they need to just be made sure that, you know, they are, they are current, they can be upgraded, and uh, that's also part of, the, part of the story here. Thank you for that. So going beyond key management, lots of things to think about here. So we're seeing a lot of stories about crypto in the news and uh, some good, some not so good as cryptocurrencies have been particularly linked to uh, to crime. Um, what keeps you up at night when it comes to crypto, Nitin? Well, for now, um, you know, what keeps me up is just keeping up with the with the industry. There's so much happening with all protocols and uh, and, and technologies. But... At a more serious level, what keeps me up at night is the collision course, instead of converging the traditional finance and traditional systems with the emerging systems, instead of going on a, you know, you know, a collision course, it's figuring out how can we coexist and how do we eventually merge, which means that the vulnerabilities of the existing Web2O infrastructure, which is the infrastructure that is designed for information exchange, where over time we have uh, with, again, technologies that you have provided to the industry and the industry has evolved with standards like key management and like SSLs and TLS, we become comfortable doing business and doing banking. Uh, what keeps me up at night is 
is with all the vulnerabilities that we have seen with point of sale systems and financial institutions is a significant impact of that declining um, sort of, you know, in, in that space, declining investment and declining thought leadership uh, and, 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 and inability for many of these large financial institutions, whether it's skill or technology, to protect the asset and transactions. Uh, that's one thing that keeps me up to say if that system fails, then it, it becomes a pretty chaotic uh, avenue for us to adopt the new technology per se, because we have to first fix that before we can adopt this. A second thing that keeps me up is, is um, in, a, in a positive way, to the system that's emerging and evolving now, the challenges that we have seen, again, recently with Poly Network, that was the biggest heist of $611 million, and how it evolved, where the community got together to identify the bad actors and identify the wallets and figure out as to how the community can come together to thwart those things, that keeps me up both in terms of understanding the system, but also in terms of how can we build a more resilient future? What are the weaknesses in the system? What are the weakest links and how do we you know, address those and slowly transfer the existing rails and existing systems to the newer system after we have fully understood the deficiencies of the existing system that we're building, but also deficiency of, of the newer world uh, that's happening. And that, I think, is a Herculean task, but I think that's why we all are in business and we all are you know, forging ahead with the thought process. And indeed, it would be uh, fascinating to see how this uh, evolves. Krishna, did you want to add something? Yeah, no, I think, so. once again, sort of yes to all of that. But I think it, um, it, what, what's important is that, you know, this is an opportunity where we can, where, you know, um, institutions that are looking towards this technology are looking to, you know, to do what we call sort of that digital transformation or digitization. It's important to get it right because, especially like in the case of banks, uh, you know, you're going from a, a system that's sort of a central a ledger-based kind of system to something that is a, a little bit, that's quite a bit more dynamic. So, you know, all this sort of tokenization and all of this stuff that's happening, we have to get it right. Uh, the crypto has to be right. The systems have to be functioning. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say it keeps me up at night, but it's really important that, you know, we, we, we get this piece uh, working correctly. And like I mentioned, like our, uh, our approach to it is uh, agile in case we need to make some updates and so on. So, so I have one thing to add, Krishna. I think anybody who's in the security business and key management should not sleep at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we all who are in crypto business who are dealing with key, we should never sleep because there are so many th- threats that we need to take care of. Right. So just want to plug that you know, if you're sleeping well, then you need to get back to on, on the dark side of technology and not sleep well. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, the, <laughs> no, absolutely nothing. I mean, the the poly the poly network attack that you mentioned is just just incredible, incredible story. I mean, it's also in some sense that there's the positive aspect of it of how the community kind of got together and had Mr. White Hat or whatever you know finally uh, get to uh, do the right thing. And, and and it's a good case, but I think you're right. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, sleeping is expensive because the next person may not be as or a, not even person or institution that does this because sometimes these are also bigger networks may not be as uh, cooperative. So yeah, we got to get it right. So staying with you, Krishna, what myths do you want to dispel? Well, I mean, you know, I think. Um, uh, 
there, there are a lot of people who kind of think of these as just toys and and uh, you know like i said early on you know when when i when i read that headline i'm like you know nfts i think you know that these things are here now these are being traded and these are no more toys and you know obviously there's a big community out there that takes this stuff really seriously but i think a lot of people still think that hey you know this is something on the edge no it's very very mainstream and that's just on the, on the you know trading of the assets and stuff but i think there are some very significant use cases being built on top um early on in the conversation when the thing was talking about how we use this technology or how the blockchain technology has been used for for example vaccine passports and stuff and these are really fantastic so it's i think um, uh, i don't know but some folks think that this is sort of on the edge but no it's really becoming a, a very central part of technology thank you for that and you nitin do you have any myths you want to dispel well the myths that i have is that it's not scary um oftentimes people view blockchain and DeFi and digital asset as a black box, uh, it's not magic. There's a lot of science and technology behind it. So uh, the myth that I would say or dispel the myth is that not everybody's after your keys and not everybody can steal your keys. Uh, and the beauty of some of the systems that, of decentralized systems that we're building is to thwart some of those risks that we begin to, uh, that begin to ensue in the Web 2.0 or the traditional world. So it's not complicated. I think it's it simply requires a sound understanding of the systems and how you claim and how you transact with assets. Uh, it's not scary. It's not black box. And none of that is exactly illegal unless you choose to use it for illegal purposes. Thank you, Nitin. We're nearly out of time, but before I let you go, I would like to ask each of you for one final thought or tip for our listeners uh, that you would like to share with us. Starting with you, Krishna. Oh, <clears throat> nothing very profound, but I think it's important if you're, you know, looking at this technology to to either build on top of it or build a use case based on this technology. Make sure you partner with the right folks uh, who, who've been in this space, who have some experience, because some of us have, you know, learned the hard way or made some mistakes and learned. And I think it's important to use the right set of technologies and the right set of partners like uh, IBM or Thales to sort of start your expedition here. Thank you. And you, Nitin? Yeah, I think uh, blockchain, DLT, and all the ecosystem that includes DeFi and NFT evolving on that is very profound. And will have a long-lasting impact of humanity, just like internet did. And so all I will ask for the listeners, both technologists and non-technical people, is to start with understanding and experiment with it. Go and get a wallet and buy and get an asset and whatever you can afford. Uh, it, it indicates participation, but also indicates sort of our collective ability to understand the system and contribute towards it. Because the more people use it, you'll find that there's more in, in incentive for innovation when you have large players and small players alike coming into it and solving those key problems. Thank you, Nitin. And thank you, Krishna, both of you, for being such fantastic guests. That's all we have time for. I'm afraid you have been listening to the Talis Security Sessions podcast, episode 12. Today, we were talking about building a trusted world for crypto payments. Thank you for listening. Love this episode of the Talis Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talisgroup.com to access previous episodes, 
bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.